This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we win the American Revolution. We all know about General George Washington, leading a retreat across the Delaware River on Christmas night. It's one of history's great military decisions, and a pillar of American folklore. But about one week later, General Washington made an even more brazen and intelligent military decision. Hold up in Trenton with the British ready for battle either that evening or bright and early the next day, Washington had three choices. One, he could retreat again. Two, he could stand and face the British either that night or early in the morning. Or three, he could leave a bare minimum force in Trenton and instead attack Princeton. In this episode, we apply modern military analytics to his choice and assess what went into the decision. And welcome to episode 53 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. I'm Nick Andrews, and we're recording this just days before the rest of us stumble into our offices, Chris. You and I worked in the latter portion of the week between Christmas and New Year's, which is just a, a big erase mark through a calendar, which is hilarious. Yeah, I, I like to think that the American spirit of entrepreneurship is going to triumph no matter what the circumstances except for the last week of the year. From December 25 to January 1, <laughs> nobody is doing a damn thing. And that's how it should be. I agree. And um, you and I both work remotely for a huge portion of our lives, so we could work together. And uh, not a lot going on. And then you went to Buffalo. Um, but we're recording this together, which is how um, enjoyable holiday travel can happen. So we've never done this before. This is going to be weird for us. It's going to be very bizarre. Usually I have the safety of distance when I give Nick low-level bullying, but this time I'm accountable for my actions in a very immediate way. Yeah, and um, it's it's really unfortunate because you can tell, well, you can't tell on Zoom and other technology that you use to record when you're not paying attention to the other person. You're like, oh, yeah, because the hard part about doing this, the only the real challenge is listening to what the other person is saying and also preparing to make a point. So oftentimes people can repeat shit. It happens. It's not just us. It happens to everybody. Yeah. If you, if you listen to our, our episodes carefully, player three, if you go back through some of them, you can tell when one of us is talking and the other one is listening versus when one of us is talking and the other is waiting to say a thing that they're trying to prepare. Cause look, we're trying to give you good content here, but we got to be honest. There's a lot of tough stuff that yep. we talk about. here. And also I refuse to script every part of it. There are podcasts yes. that do that. And I just simply won't do that. Not that not only cause we're not good, as good at, writing that and not only because it takes a long time but also because you can tell and i hate it yeah and, and we you know we admire a lot of podcasts on this show we're, uh, we're, we're podcast listeners yeah. as well as podcast creators and, and the shows that do that more power to them we just it's not our style no no absolutely absolutely not so the holiday was great and um, we are right before like i said we're recording this this is out on january 3rd which is important because that is the anniversary of the event that we are going to discuss um, but before we get to that, like, rate, review, subscribe. This episode will have some sort of YouTube content, but we don't have a full in-studio setup, so we can't record our faces. But there will be something. Um, and we, we do have a review, Chris, that I... <laughs> oh, we have, we have a review. That I would like to mention. This came uh -huh. in a, uh, a while ago, and it was, I, I suspect, based on the pseudonym, that it's someone that we know. And essentially, it says... 
that the podcast content is great, and we appreciate that. We do appreciate that. But before he says that, and I'm assuming it's a he, based on, again, the pseudonym and doing some investigative work for about seven seconds, that... <laughs> I know who this person is. He said that, you know, when Nick and Chris used to speak up in class in high school, I used to roll my eyes or something to that effect. Yeah. And, and to be clear, we were not in the same class. We were no. great apart, but sometimes we made a, a couple of, mm -hmm. we, we made some guest appearances in each other's classes right. and we were really the worst. Yeah, absolutely. And now uh, he says, yeah, but now I, I, I the, the review said something along the lines of, I wish I'd paid more attention or, or I really enjoy their insights now. And I, I want to be honest with you. I roll my eyes at myself more now, Chris. Yeah, I, I roll my eyes at you more now, too. Oh, I, I appreciate that. Some of okay. us get better with age. What was what, what he saying? Pulp Fiction? Like, yeah, if age is like wine. You mean it turns to vinegar. It does. Whoa. I don't remember that line. Yeah, that's, that's, that's when Marcellus Wallace is talking to Butch. He's telling, uh, telling about boxers don't have an old timer's day. Mm. Tell him to throw to fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I forget that speech. There's so much in that movie that I just like remember off the top of my head, but not all of it, obviously. Okay, so January 3rd, in the year of our Lord, 1777, which, by the way, we're coming up on our country's 250th anniversary. Yeah, so. that's a long, that's a long time. Yeah, we're, we're a 246-year-old country now. Yeah, I think that's that's about right, 1776 yeah. this last year. So January 3rd, uh, George Washington makes a big move. January 3rd, 1777, I believe, right? Yeah, January 3rd, yeah. 1777. This, 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 there's a lot of interesting history that happens during this time period, obviously, because it's the origin story of the greatest country that has ever been discovered. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> I didn't say the greatest state that's ever been discovered. You're right, yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. The yeah. Texas North. We had a big discussion. We love our Canadians. We had a big discussion on Boxing Day. Yeah. It, 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 our, our father, who is incredibly resourceful and he works in the international community with a lot of business partners and they talk about boxing day this and that and you know christmas was on a sunday this year so boxing day was that monday which is the day that everybody gets off anyway so we had to hear and talk about boxing day far more than i ever thought i would and i asked him how many wars do we have to fight so that we can stop paying attention to nonsense like this <laughs> Ridiculous. It's getting worse. The Premier League is creeping into our, our lexicon. Yes. So on December 25th, two of the biggest military events in world history, by the way, happened on Christmas Day, the crowning of Charlemagne in 801, and then Washington crosses the Delaware River, both on Christmas Day, 1776. And then about two weeks later, right after the stupor of not knowing what's going on between Christmas and New Year's, Washington finds himself back in New Jersey and has to make a difficult decision. And that's what we are evaluating today. So, so we have a, a a paper written by a brilliant, I believe, major in the United States Armed Forces. I'm not sure what branch, Chris. Well, let's let's go ahead and let's go ahead and confirm that. Yeah, it says uh, Major Nathan Lundy. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry if we're mispronouncing that, Major. Uh, major Nathan Lundy of the U.S. Army. Uh, he was writing for the School of Advanced Military Studies in Fort Leavenworth. So this is this is a paper that we found. It's a, it, it's a monograph. Uh, it, it it I don't know if that's like the equivalent of a thesis or yeah. Yeah, it's but it's it's a longer form product. I mean, it's it's over forty pages, and and uh, Major Lundy wrote this in twenty twenty, and it's a really interesting kind of it's a look at how game theory, actual game theory, applies to military operations. Right. And Major Lundy reviewed a bunch of really interesting history. Obviously, the Cold War was a, a really it was kind of a a time when the fledgling science game theory 
came to be and matured on its own. And that was in terms of like nuclear deterrence. If, if we build this and position it here, then how will the, the, the Russians respond? And right. If the Russians build this, then how can we deter them from ever using it? Blah, blah, blah. But Major Lundy took that a step farther in this monograph that we found, and he applied it to a lot of different... Like he, he asked the question, how can game theory improve the operational decision-making capability of battlefield commanders. So people who are like boots on the ground have to make a decision, have to play out different scenarios. How can they best make a good decision for themselves? And so, well, you know, game theory was designed to be a sort of decision-making framework. And, and he, has a, he has a really interesting quote somewhere in this paper. And I, I think it's good for us, Nick, to kind of keep this in mind yeah, sometimes. Yeah. We, we talk about, oh, yeah, in this situation, you should do this or that. Like right. in the Monty Hall problem, you should change the doors. In Rock, Paper, Scissors, you should quit trying to figure out how to win because it's just chance. There's a quote from a book that was written by uh, Milton Friedman. Or was it, was it Milton Friedman? Oh, you're talking about the uh, Prussian guy. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, talking, about, uh, I'm talking about the guy. No, it was, it was not Milton Friedman. Uh, he does guy, cite Friedman quite a bit in the paper. He does. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's a Friedman who wrote... Uh, man, I can't believe I'm, I'm blanking on this guy's name. Uh, because he wrote a book called Strategy, and he also wrote a book called The Evolution of Nuclear Strategy. Hugely, hugely influential right. nuclear strategist, game theorist. Man, I cannot believe I'm, I'm blanking. Lawrence Friedman. Lawrence, Lawrence Friedman. Ah, yeah. how, how satisfying to get it on your own. Sorry. Yeah, for the... for Well, yeah, with the help of the internet.com. Oh, I can't. I'm, I'm an embarrassment. I'm an embarrassment to the community. Correct. So so he cites Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman. Jeez. Oh, dude. God, we just had this discussion. We just had this discussion. Lawrence Friedman. I haven't had a neuron fire since probably December 15th. That's why we're doing this episode, because... I mean, that while people of us worked a little bit between Christmas and New Year's, man, like it doesn't... Did you notice that you come back from this little two-week mess and you're neither tired nor rested? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the ultimate fuck. combination of worse as a person and unrefreshed. Yeah, and um, just like I, I, I've been saying this for years and I don't care how cliched it is at this point, I treat my body like I treat my credit where I just deal with it in January <laughs> and now January is here. <laughs> January hath, January as predicted hath cometh. January hath cometh and New Year's resolutions have been cheated upon already. Yes, and, and shouts to all the, the, the gym people who work out year-round who are going to complain for the next six weeks. Get over it. Yeah, look, we see you, and I've got to be honest, we don't care. No, no Stop one cares. It. Yeah, you're not a hero. So tell me what Lawrence, Lawrence Friedman, Friedman had to say. said, yeah. as cited in this paper by Major Lundy, Game theory is a descriptive model mm. of the most logical outcome. Right. It's not a prescriptive model, per se, of what a person should or should not do. It's the, it, it's the accumulation of rational... Uh, of, it's the accumulation of factual information and circumstances that come together to produce a rational series of events. So when you're considering cooperate or don't cooperate... It's less that, oh, I should do X, Y, and Z because this is the most logical thing to do. And it's more that, given this set of circumstances, people will either cooperate or compete. They yeah. will either disengage or engage. And so keeping that in mind, I think it's really interesting what Major Lundy's done here, applying that descriptive model to this operation, the military operations, and especially Washington's decision to either try to defend Fort Trenton or attack Princeton, or just yeah. full-on retreat uh, after he crossed the Delaware River uh, in a really daring, really interesting operation on December twenty-fifth of seventeen seventy-six. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's uh, let's let's set the scene a little bit because we're going to use what what Major Lundy wrote. He, what he wrote was like, well, let's let's analyze 
past battles and what we can learn and then what it can be used for now. And remember, this this paper was written or released to the public, um, I think written incredibly recently, like two years ago or so, like not that long ago. So this is where game theory is starting to creep into the normal everyday lexicon. It happened. It's happening in poker, and we are going to get to that, of course, at some point in time. But what, what what's happening here is that I just want to make everybody gets the dates confused. So Washington's famous Delaware crossing happens in the, the winter of 1776 on Christmas. He's still in the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area in the early winter of 1777. Now that is not to be confused with the Valley Forge encampment and the famous winter cold that was in the winter of 1777 and 1778. Yes. So that's that a year later. A year later. Correct. So the, the, and that for Valley Forge thing where they're all encamped there and they are all like trying to survive. They're the like winter's eating really their back. shoe leather because there's nothing to eat. Right. Exactly. That, that is a different struggle. It seems similar, but, but they've, they've been using Valley Forge as a thing for, for a long time, but the famous encampment happens a year later. So the, the Delaware crossing is Washington's famous retreat. So what's at stake here for Washington and Cornwallis is Washington is trying to keep the thing alive so that the Continental Congress can figure it out, drum up popular support, and maybe go kiss France's ass a little bit for some help. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it, the, the, the context leading up to this was obviously 1776 was the year of the Declaration of yeah. Independence. And in the summer of 1776, the conflict kind of came to a head. So this this defeated continent, this continental army that Washington was trying to lead was defeated in battle after battle, and they retreated all the way from kind of the outer end of Long Island to Manhattan. And New York is a really important city for a lot of you know, a multitude of reasons. And at that time, it was not just a an important logistical center, but it was also like a major hub. And so it had kind of symbolic importance to the people of the United States, or, the, or I guess the United Colony. I don't, I don't know. Were they calling them? Yeah, they were calling themselves the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it was important to the people of the United States at that time, symbolically as well as, as logistically and, and strategically. And in the summer of 1776, after America declares its independence, this this New York campaign kind of took place on Long Island, and the uh, the Continental Army faced defeat after defeat, and there was a a lot of, I guess there was a lot of retreating on on the part of the Continental Army, and, and we're not going to talk about all the things that happened between like August and and December, but suffice it to say, Washington was basically on the run, and his his defeats just before uh, after. Uh, General Howe uh, brought, brought soldiers through on boats in the Narrows between Staten Island and Long Island to kind of attack the city when he, he left from Nova Scotia. He basically kicked Washington's ass. Yeah. And so Washington in the winter had to do some kind of kind of soul searching and, and reassessing. It was really the low point of, uh, of the low points in his career. And, and he, he had Face some previous low points, you know, fighting in the French and Indian Wars, and yeah, famously, and so, yeah. So he, so he knew what it meant to lose on the battlefield. But so in the winter, he reassesses and he tries to find a way to turn all of these defeats following the Declaration into victories. He knows he has to fight this massive British army that has a much more, a much larger force, much more professional force, much higher quality. He knows that he has to win the hearts and minds of the people because popular support for the revolution was just as important as the strategic and tactical decisions he could make on the battlefield. And he knows that he has to do so for a long enough period of time that he can improve the quality of the Continental Army, improve supply chains, secure positions, and really like solidify 
the victory that was symbolized first in the Declaration of Independence and had to, they had to fight for in the aftermath of that. And his crossing of the Delaware on Christmas, I, it really is the high point of this, this kind of, it, it's really the peak of the turning point for yeah. George Washington. Well, because um, it was a great, great decision to do that. That's why it's really famous, like kind of running away. And like, it was a really, and we're, we're not talking about the crossing of the Delaware River, but that point in time, essentially we were, and I want to use popular, popular uh, nomenclature here, Chris, is that the Continental Congress, the Adams Cousins, um, a lot of the, the, the founding fathers in Virginia and Pennsylvania had, they had fucked around and now they were finding out <laughs> and it was not great. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the simplest way to yeah, put it. They, yeah, so we were like, we're going to break free and the king was like, okay. And we'll that was, that. it went exactly as well as you thought it would. Now as Americans, we're like, yeah, we did it. We're like, well, we ran away. We would like kick them in the shins and run away. And yeah. that was essentially our strategy. And Washington was really, really, really good at that. And of course he knew Cornwallis and Howe kind of personally because he had represented the British in the, the French and Indian War and in a bunch yes. of other campaigns. He's one of the greatest generals of all time. He's one of the only, fun fact, he's one of the only generals that Napoleon idolized. Really? Napoleon knew how smart he was, but he had like I think he ordered either a month or twenty-one days of mourning when Washington died. Holy cow! Well, he loved Washington, and Napoleon became emperor in like eighteen twenties. It was like a little earlier than that. So like it depends on what we call emperor. He became in charge like eighteen ten, and he was okay. emperor like ten years after that, somewhere in there. Okay, so yeah, so this is this is after the French Revolution mm-hmm. in seventeen nineties. Mm-hmm. This is well after. So America has been around for forty years or Absolutely. so. Absolutely. So. This would have been kind of immediately. It would be like if somebody today was really like a huge fan of like, I don't know, like Norman Schwarzkopf. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, or Norman Schwarzkopf, like a general marshal leading the charge in World War II yep. and you know, trying to bring peace to China and all that kind of stuff. Right. So um, a little aside here. If you've ever watched John Adams on HBO, that's unbelievably oh, good yes, um, and so that, that kind of lays out all of it there's another show on Netflix called Turn that deals with this point in history it's about well, it's not on Netflix it was originally on either AMC or uh, one of those no, so it's not an original yeah so it was not a Netflix original and I, started, I watched it in college for a couple seasons it was really good and it was about Washington's secret network of spies and yes. about their like personal lives and a lot of that shit was made up of course but and about you know revealing information about the Battle of Princeton and Trenton and the Hessians. I have, uh, the Hessians, excuse me. I also have another fun fact. Before we get to the game theory breakdown of all of this, the Hessian mercenaries that yes. the British employed. Yes, a lot of them were not paid well after the following winter after the Battle of Trenton and the Battle of Princeton. So they were the British didn't. They weren't hugely the people that were doing this in, in, in New Jersey, the yeah. British bought soldiers because they're like, we don't want it. These people suck. Let's just get some hired guns. The Hessians are like, yeah, highest bid or whatever. Yeah, in, in essence, the, the Hessians were basically mercenaries. They were mercenaries. They were guns for hire. They didn't give a shit. And so they were there. Well, after the British kind of stopped paying them and taking care of them, they never left, which is why there's a huge German, Swedish kind of cultural situation in New Jersey and Western Pennsylvania or Eastern Pennsylvania. Why? Like That's why Pittsburgh has the Bergs and the pretzels and the Kraut and all of that kind of stuff. Hmm. And now when, and then in America, and you see this with Jews in New York and Jews in California, you see this with Italians in Philadelphia and Italians in New York City. When you have a connection to the new world, you know, your, your family members, your distinct relatives are like, okay, well, there's a safe, you know, there's a, uh, it'll be easy for you if you move here. And that the reason why Pennsylvania and New Jersey, I mean, it's not quite this simple, but is because the Hessian soldiers never left. 
Yeah, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Well, yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You forget about the Hessians. Yeah. If you could learn about that in American history class right. and you realize, like, well, yeah, they were fighting this huge, much more yeah. powerful, much more professional military force, but they were also a lot of basically just guns for hire right. that the British said, like, okay, these are great cannon fodder and they can hold off or whatever. And Washington's crossing on, of the Delaware on December 25th of 76 was largely against Hessian occupied. Right parts of, of New Jersey. Of New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, so keep that in mind. He was, he initially was fighting against these less professional guns for hire who would become the ancestors of today's like large kind of German concentrations mm-hmm. of, of, of people in, in the right. new world. Yep. Um, so that's, uh, and that's who they're, they're fighting here. They run away from the Hessians and there's a scene in turn and you can see all this. A lot of the Hessians are like, yeah, we're not going to cross the Delaware to chase him. Fuck that. Yeah. Uh, we're, yeah. we're good. I do want, I do want to make a quick note here. Uh, so uh, Encyclopedia Britannica has uh, obviously some great information on this. I do want to uh, give you a little bit of a, a trivia question. Okay, here we go. Okay, so more than 20 Hessians yep. were mortally wounded, 900 prisoners captured, and 80 were wounded with kind of minor injuries. Okay. Zero Americans killed in action, and five Americans got wounds. The most serious wound was almost it was it was almost a, a fatal wound but the, but the person survived i'll give you a dollar if you can tell me one guess who it is my guess is uh his name is alexander hamilton no fuck that was a good guess it was a good princeton's guess right it was there. a reasonable guess yeah hamilton came along later and he was involved in the battles of princeton and trent i think he fought in princeton like as like a like a shithead like he, did. he wanted a, to fight there, there's like an apocryphal story because he was leading uh, cannon fire yeah and there's an apocryphal story that one of the shots that he fired tore through a building and destroyed a portrait of King George. Sure. That's not really true. It's probably no. apocryphal. Uh, but the person who received the most serious wound in the December 25th operation in 1776 was one James Monroe. Wow. Lieutenant James Monroe, who would go on to become the fifth president of the United fifth States. Fifth president of the United States. I mean, that's, uh, it makes sense that the first 10 presidents or so, if you could, could be like related to the revolution in some way. Truly. So you yeah. feel, good, feel good about it. Okay, so crosses the Delaware, and now we have this paper by Major Lundy, who's yes. analyzing a situation that Washington finds himself in, and it is very simple. It's very game theory game theory-esque, and it also draws on the theme of this show, which is that not everything is rational. Some right. things people have outside factors, and they're thinking about other situations. So, uh, to, to spoiler alert, Washington made the right decision, and Cornwallis made the wrong one. But let's yeah, lay down the yeah, situation. Famously, and, and that's not because Cornwallis was not a, a genius. He, he was. was yeah, he, he was an excellent, excellent military commander, but Washington just happened to make a better decision. Mm-hmm. So, you mentioned a couple of different factors at play. What are some examples of that? So the first big factor is that the Continental Army, are you talking about, you want to get the game theory table? Let's do that. No, no, no. I, I oh, mean, top, I mean, top, yeah, top yeah. Down. So sure. like, what are, the, what are the motivations? Because sure. what, what the, the game theory that we're looking at here is Washington versus Cornwallis, yep. specifically after Washington captured and decided to defend Trenton. Mm-hmm. The decision comes down to whether what, what Washington's next strategic move is and the timing of Cornwallis's decision to attack Washington's position at Trenton. So right. the Continental Army's at Trenton. They have a few different courses of action, how to respond with the knowledge that Cornwallis is going to attack Trenton. It's just a question of when that attack is going to come. Right. So we're, we're going to get to, we're going to break down a t- an excellent table that Major Lundy made yeah. here in just a minute. And, a, and he has a bunch of different number factors, which are fun too. But yeah, and we, and we, we won't get into we'll, we'll try to avoid. Yeah, no, I mean, the numbers Google, well, we're going to link to this paper. Everyone should read it. It's yeah, great. It's really, really excellent paper. So what are some of the factors that are motivating Washington and Cornwallis at the time? Right. So there are a couple different things. So it's early. 
in the revolution. And Corton Wallace is very much in a situation where like this can be stamped out like in an afternoon, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't have to be a years long campaign from his point of view. So like you want to win right away. But similar to how like college football teams are doing it, they don't just want to win. They want to win in the correct way and make it seem the, the however to the crown. And so there are political points being scored. So yes. for Corn Wallace, there are a couple different things. So let's just say, theoretically, this, these guys are sitting at the breakfast table apart and it's like a movie scene and Cornwallis is making the decision and Washington is making the decision. Let's just call it 7 a.m. for yeah. the purposes of this argument. So there are two options. By the time Corn Cornwallis gives commands and ready for attack, either he can attack Washington's stronghold at Trenton at night, which would be essentially immediately, mm -hmm. or he could wait for the morning. For Washington, he has three options. Yes, Option one is run away again, which he just did a week about a week ago. Yeah, and he so that that option is a retreat to just like the interior of yes. New York State, or I think it's to either Pennsylvania or Southern New Jersey. Okay, yeah, so he's running away essentially. Um, option number two for Washington is to stay and defend Trenton. Option number three is to bail on Trenton, and it's like you just captured it, but to basically leave like a couple don't want to say sacrificial lambs, but essentially a sacrificial guard and then sneak off to Princeton and attack Princeton where the British have a much weaker stronghold. So yeah, for yeah, Washington... For, for, for this for this Princeton option, I like I liken the force that Washington would have left behind. I saw a source somewhere that said it basically just enough to keep the fires going. Right. I like to think of it as in Home Alone mm -hmm. when Kevin has that party with all the cardboard right. cutouts perfect, and mannequins at perfect night. Perfect metaphor. Yeah. Exactly. Just to make it like, oh, they're, they're attacking. So right. let's break down the situation for, for Washington because we won the war and uh, that's how that's going to go. Well, and, and I, I want to I you know, mention some of Washington's motivating factors. Yeah, let's do the, the motivations. Yeah. So, so it, at the time, it was looking like, you know, based on the size and quality of the disparate forces, based on the geography of the positions they have. And by the way, it's at this point, player three, I'll say, if you're from New York, that's excellent. You probably know a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. if you're from New Jersey. That's great. If you're not, it would be kind of cool to get a map and check this out. And I really highly recommend yeah. you reading up on, on some of this stuff. So we're not going to go into all those details, but because of the geographic factors, the harsh winter weather, the quality of the forces, the number of decisions that Washington had to make versus Cornwallis had to make, it kind of looked inevitable that Washington was going to lose, that yep. this that this expeditionary force was a, a major symbolic victory. It was a huge turning point for the Continental Army and for the revolution, the cause of the revolution overall. But the 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 assessed kind of inevitability of defeat here was a major factor playing into Washington's decision making. So the, the these three options he had to either defend his position, retreat outright or attack Princeton, it seemed like he was going to lose and the Continental Army was going to take a major hit no matter what decision he made so that was that was in the forefront of his mind when he was trying to decide what to do here yeah so there one of the things that was i think on his mind and, and major lundy gets into this and it makes a lot of sense was that the men and the continental congress and because at this point in time the declaration of independence has been signed south carolina was like not super on board <laughs> Pennsylvania and New York like had to abstain essentially because they had so many loyalist like citizens and they were yeah. so occupied. They're like, we, we actually can't be in a talk shit right now. They'll like commit atrocities. So like it wasn't everyone was in, but not everyone was all in Massachusetts yeah. and Virginia were all in. Everyone else was like, yeah, kind of for sure. Sort of. We'll see. Yeah. So at this point, like we need to make sure that the South Carolinians and the North Carolinians and everybody is down for the cause because we're going to get crushed and then made an example of. So that's part of it. Yeah. The men did not want to retreat again, essentially. Yeah, which and, 
can't say I blame him. Right. It's sort of like a like a coach in a football game kicking a field goal, and the next time all of the players are like, we're going for it. Like, yeah. And part of the are. reason that Washington made the, the bold decision to cross the river in the first place and get them to this position was that a lot of these guys had signed up for terms of service. Yep. They had their ass kicked up and down New York for the better part of six months. Yep. And their terms of service were kind of where they were, a lot of them were coming up. Yep. So they would no longer be required to fight. And of course there are militiamen and all, you know, Minutemen all over the place in, yep. in New York and in New England. But the fact remains that Washington had a limited set of resources. And one of those was time. Yep. So he made this decision based on what little resources he had to, to kind of win back the mind, hearts and minds of the people and to take advantage of a force that he knew was rapidly getting depleted and was going to face systematic problems when terms of service for conscripts would come up. Right. Exactly. Right. So, for Washington, you're like, the boys, boys need a victory here. Yeah. Like, there's got to yeah. be a victory. For Cornwallis, the decision, in my opinion, is this is where I think study is, would be really exciting because it's a lot more theoretical. For Cornwallis, uh, his decision to either attack the following day or attack immediately, which would be under the cover of nightfall, is a, is a really kind of convoluted one. For me, the first big mistake for him was that there was a third option, and there's always a third option in every single situation, which is to do nothing. Disengage, yes. Literally. We, we, we had this conversation over Christmas. Our father is the most caring, <laughs> thoughtful, go-getting yeah. type, best example a son could have. Mm-hmm. But, Nick, you were hosting. I was hosting, and I was cooking. Yes. And um, I, 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 I know that my father wants a task... Uh, to complete, and I said, I, I don't. I'm not asking you to 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 not do anything, because <laughs> that would be insulting right. to you. You're trying to help me. Right. What I am asking you to do is to actively do nothing. Yes, which is actually which is a fun thing about languages you get into. Those two things are different. They are different. Yeah, yeah, don't do anything versus do nothing. Right. So, like for example, doctors will tell you sometimes with some cancer diagnoses, you can have cancer, and the course of treatment is what they call watchful waiting, which is nothing. Yes. We're just going to observe this and it's going to, because the treatment can cause it to get worse. Even taking imaging of it can cause it to get worse and it's money and it's not what you want. The best outcome for you is to actively do nothing, which is different than not do anything about it. Yeah. It's, it's like if you were trying to guide somebody across the street, it's mm-hmm. like, I, yeah, don't do anything. That means I can't see whether cars are coming or not. Correct. But if you can see the tra- patterns of traffic, yeah. you say, all right, there's a bus coming. Don't do anything. Right. Do nothing right now. Exactly. Stay still or you're going to get hit. So for Cornwallis, and they're winning this battle, and I, I don't know what, I mean, I'm sure there's a historian out there that well, can tell us. Well, one of, the, one of the factors that Major Lundy mentions in his paper here for Cornwallis is that he know, he thinks Washington cannot retreat. So right. he knows the geography of the area. Right. He also has intelligence on the size and force ratios of the Continental Army versus his forces. Correct. And he also knows he has to attack Washington and defeat those forces without losing too much honor because, as you said, it's like college football, not enough to win the game. You also have to win it with enough, I guess, glory. Right. And, and all, like, aesthetically the right way. So these, the, the, the sentiment of the revolution in Britain at the time, and I, this is an oversimplification, was like, here's another colony, new world, our, you know, our uh, exports and imports and, and whatnot. But also the Tories and the Whigs, like it wasn't, again, it, politics is politics and half the people disagree with you. It wasn't just all Gucci. No. Like they were like, what, so what they didn't want, what they wanted to avoid, what the crown wanted to avoid, what the army wanted to avoid was running up the score and making it ugly. Yes. Which is weird to say because winning a war is more important. Let them debate it later, in my opinion. But in this situation, he's like, we can't like rape these people. This is not an occupation. We need to defeat the army, quell the fighting, and then be out of here. Well, you know, there's, I think there's something to be said in, in, in the, the 
Chinese communist tradition, they say, they, like, I think it was Mao's, like, war is an, just an extension of politics. Yes. Like, it, it's a really inefficient means of getting what you want. Right. And you only really resort to it when you're kind of pressed to. I, I think that the, the example that you just said, that, that, I, I think you're exactly right that that's what's happening here right. for Cornwallis. Like, you, you can't run up the score. You have to have, and you see this time and time again, it was the same thing that happened um, you know, a century later with, with Abraham Lincoln. The, the North defeating the South would have been a formality as long as you give the North four years to put the Navy in charge, blockade the Gulf of Mexico, then the South starves to death, and then they would have, they would have uh, surrendered immediately. Yep. But it takes a long time, and politicians are like, well, what are we doing? Are we at war or are we not? So Cornwallis is feeling pressures like that across an ocean. No one knows what to do. So he doesn't think Washington can retreat again. He knows he can't run up the score, yep. which is an important factor because attacking at night would make it seem like he's running. He's doing these atrocities. He's, it's too much. It's not honorable. So he is, he's motivated. Do I want to win? Well, I'll probably win anyway. And Washington knew that as well. Washington knew very clearly like, well, I mean, anyone does. The Brits are better. There yep. are more of them. Yep. They're more well-supplied, and they're probably better soldiers. Yeah, these are not the Hessians that right. they, that Washington and the Continental Army defeated right. on Christmas. Right. This is this is the real, no-kidding British Empire. Right. They had come down since Christmas, and they were like, okay, let's... So, they, like, Trenton was lost. Yes. Essentially. Trenton was, Trenton was out of... Basically out of the hands of Washington after Cornwallis attacks. Right. So... The set of decisions that we have here makes a two-by-three grid. Yep. Because remember, Washington's decisions were to either outright retreat, yep. stay and defend Trenton to the last, yep. or attack Princeton. Correct. And, and do this kind of like fakey, like, yeah, we're still here, but no, really, we're attacking Princeton. Right. And then both, all three of those decisions could either happen in the context of a Cornwallis attack at night right. or a Cornwallis attack after daybreak in right. the morning. So Major Lundy has outlined this grid for us. And so we're going to go through each one of the possible consequences of what would happen. Alrighty, let's do it. All right. So night attack first, let's say Cornwallis is going to attack at night. Okay. If Washington retreats, he's going to lose support for the cause. And Cornwallis is going to get the strategically important position in Trenton. And even it's going to be so close that they might even continue advancing. Right. Yeah. Number two, if Washington tries to stay and defend Trenton outright, probably he's going to lose. Yeah. But, it's going to be a Pyrrhic victory for Cornwallis. He's going to incur quite a lot of costs because yeah. he is still fighting the Continental Army. Correct. And then number three, if Washington, if Washington decides to attack Princeton, then probably Cornwallis is going to do away with this kind of fake force at Trenton and probably pursue and defeat Washington at Princeton. Yeah. Okay, so those are the consequences. Now, the next set of consequences for the morning attack, again, if Washington retreats, he's going to lose support. And Cornwallis is going to gain Trenton. So that outcome is pretty clear. And we'll get to the results that Major Lundy outlined here in a second. But it seems right now that retreating is a pretty big lose-lose for old, old GW. Right. Number two, if Washington decides to stay and defend Trenton during a morning attack, probably Cornwallis is going to win. And it's probably going to be kind of costly, but not as much as during a night attack because right, right. during the day you can see more clearly, communication is clear, and a more professional force benefits from that. Right. And then finally, if Washington decides to attack Princeton in, a, in the event of a morning attack from Cornwallis, probably Washington can succeed because Cornwallis's force is farther away from the defense of Princeton because right. they decided to wait 
for the morning to attack Trent. Right, and this exact thing happened. I mean, it's just a big whoopsie doozy yep. in a military history. This exact thing happened in Game of Thrones. I'm sure that there are hundreds of examples of something like this happening where you're like, I'm sure that one of these things is going to happen. And it's weird that Cornwallis didn't consider this a possibility, to be frank, because General Washington is like one of the top, I don't know, 110 generals of all time. Like he's yeah. one of the greatest military minds in world history. And like, yeah. of, of all of the true genius in the, in the American revolution, I'm sure the founding fathers were great. Like the true geniuses were Washington and Franklin, in my opinion, like they were gifted. They saw the whole chessboard. They, they were gifted people. And Washington was yeah. gifted before he became an American. He was a, he's a G. I, I'll tell you what, I'm not as much of a Franklin Stan as I used to be when I was younger. Sure. Because I learned about John Adams. Yeah, yeah you are about Adam, Adams, yeah. Uh, Franklin did see the whole chessboard, though, and I would give anything to have a drink with him at his oldest. <laughs> at his oldest. Man, yeah, because he, he kind of got, like, really weird, and uh, he, he and Adams hated each other, but it seemed like Adams was more annoyed at Franklin. Yeah. It was like very much like a pinky in the brain kind of dynamic, except <laughs> Franklin was probably smarter. Yeah, it, I think to. Adams... I think Adams had to be the worst hang of all the founding fathers, but like very such important person. You know what I mean? Critically important because yeah. he, he was, because he was such a pill. Yeah. He did all the boring, unsexy work of like actually legislating and making Congress into a useful yeah. legislative body. And it seems like so much of his life is trying to get people to care about the things he cares about. And they're like, yeah, but it, you're just such a douche. Yeah. You're not wrong. You're just boring. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Washington's a genius. He sees this Princeton thing happening. Cornwallis doesn't. Cornwallis doesn't. Uh, have an option according to this table, or maybe he does. I mean, we we don't know. He doesn't. Uh, the table doesn't analyze doing nothing, which I think is by far the move. And knowing what I know now, so and, and, well, that's that's because it was basically a foregone conclusion that Cornwall Cornwallis would lose so much support if he didn't try to pursue the advantage that right. he had. That 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 was one of the main factors at play here. Like, sure. I guess if you if you want to put it in terms of like true game theory, like that was a bias affecting the set of decisions that Cornwallis made. Mm-hmm. It precluded what arguably might have been the best option. So we can go through the table and and discuss Let's some of the it. results yep. here. Let's do it. Okay. So we mentioned earlier, whether Cornwallis attacks at night or in the morning, if Washington decides to retreat outright from Trenton and try to regroup and just kind of cut his losses after, after defeating the Hessians and spending the week fighting, that's going to be a lose-lose scenario. Because then... Cornwallis gets this strategically important location. Symbolically, it looks much, much better for him. He can avoid losing face in front of in front of the crown, and Washington is going to lose a lot of face because people say, "Well, you know, what are we doing here? The Continental Army is supposed to be fighting a revolution, not running from one." Yeah, right. So right, right. He, he loses all his all his terms of service for a lot of members of the Continental Army. The people of America are wondering what's going on. The Continental right. Congress is like, what's going on? So that's that's a lose-lose situation. So I think Washington at this point would see clearly this is not this is not on the table for us anymore. Right, right, right. Yeah, so now we've got to eliminate it down to two decisions. So now does Washington defend Trenton to the last or does he attack Princeton? So that, that's the new set of decisions that we're looking at here. Right. So if you compare the, the, the relative payoff in this now four by or two by two four part grid of Washington defending at night, defending in the morning, attacking Princeton at night, or attacking Princeton in the morning. No, is attacking Princeton at the same time against a morning attack or a night attack? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah. So defending it, defending it in at night or in the morning, or attacking Princeton while Cornwallis attacks in the morning or the night. Yeah, yeah precisely. Right. If you look at the relative payoffs here, yeah, I think Major Lundy does an excellent job of breaking down 
which one would give Washington the most benefit and Cornwallis the most benefits. Right. So, so oh, go ahead. Oh, I know no, you. you oh, yeah. so, so what I was going to say is, well, Washington is very simple. So the retreat thing, both of them are smart enough to know like, well, he, he really can't. And even yes. if he could, he still fucking can't. So he's not going to retreat. Yeah. And Cornwallis knew the geography here. He, right. Even, even if, if watch, even if there was incentive for Washington to retreat, it's going to be really hard to do. And so he's going to get his ass kicked. And so Cornwallis right. knows Washington's not going to retreat. Right, exactly. So like that's off the table right away. So for Washington, to me, I, I, I find this uh, in poker. I find this when I play chess. Like You have to find the ones that are like, well, I'm probably fucked. Yes. All across the board. So what is the one situation where I might be fucked a little less? Or maybe they'll screw up. Yep. So you would put your opponent in a position to screw up. And I do this in chess all the time. It's called tempo. And your opponent can be annihilating you. Like, well, if I check his king... No, maybe he makes a mistake. No, all the all the chess people are are looking at this. There is there is a meme that went around. I was that like two or three years ago. Yeah, this guy in India who is not a chess player. He's he's not like a professional. He's he's just a disgrace to the game. He was like, oh yeah, I've beaten all these masters and I've I'm better than all these people. And and he was obviously he was cheating online. Right. And oh yeah, I remember this. During an interview, he said he like. He was like, "Oh yeah, this is my favorite opening," and he wasn't describing an opening. He was just like describing, Chess, like it sure. was it was like a non. Uh, but one of the things that came out of that was he's like, "Oh yes, anyone can do it. I do it because I have mastered the art of the tempo." Like, oh, <laughs> Dude, no, yeah, dummy. Right. So what what Washington <laughs> is doing is like he's screwed. He's in checkmate essentially, and like it's not just for the battle. Let me just step out, zoom out a little bit. If Washington doesn't A, cross the Delaware on Christmas, B, take Princeton 10 days later, it's over. Yep. The entire thing is done because then South Carolina and Virginia are out. The locals are done. The forces are gone. It is literally Hail Mary time. So his essentially, metaphorically, his choice is, well, I can check them and maybe they'll fuck up or I can let them just destroy me. So it's a very clear decision. So the best case scenario for Washington is to attack Princeton and hope for a Cornwallis morning attack. The second best thing for Washington is to attack Princeton, and it doesn't matter when he attacks because you've got to go. So that makes the decision almost binary. Attack Princeton and maybe live. Don't attack Princeton and definitely lose. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, a lot of the factors that we're talking about here are hard to quantify. It's yeah, hard to quantify sure. popular support for a revolution in a time when it was just hard to canvas the entirety of the country right. to get popular opinion. It It's hard to quantify exactly how good or bad the Continental Army would have been right. in one situation right. or another. You, you can talk manpower, you can talk force posture, you can talk number of ships and how many guns they have and all that kind of stuff. But it, at the time, it would have been difficult to try to play out those scenarios, especially on a short, on such a short timeline. So what Major Lundy has done in our paper has is he's ranked each of the relative payoffs in a game theory format right. in, this, in this set of tables. And the way that he's ranked them is from relatively what's the worst to relatively what's the best on a scale of one to six. Right. So rather than trying to weight the different factors like X percentage or like multiply this times two because it's so important, yep. it, it, rather than giving a numeric value based on the quality, Major Lundy has given a numeric value based on the relative importance or the relative benefit of that payoff in the event that events transpire. Right. So Washington's lowest payoffs are retreating. We've eliminated those already. They're his worst in the case of a night attack and second worst in the case of a morning attack. Uh, Those are his worst options. Conversely, Cornwallis's best options are present if Washington decides to retreat. That's number six. That's that's like the six out of six best option, then five out of six is best option. So Washington cannot accept that. 
And then, as you said, Washington decides to attack Princeton because his third and fourth worst options are to try to defend because it's likely that he's going to lose in either case. It's just a question of how many men he's going to lose and how much better the fighting force would be for, for the British Army in the event that they attack in the morning and can see each other and can communicate. More right, clearly. which is, it's, it's to me, Cornwallis is not seeing the whole board here or he just has pressure to do the, the right thing and then to also win. So in Washington, by giving up, not only is he attacking Princeton, but attacking Princeton is a retreat of sorts, almost like... Yeah, or, it's, a, it's a change of position. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's opening up a new front, I guess, or he's, he's attacking another strategically important location after having gotten a victory. So he's like, well, I can't fight here. I can't beat you here, but I can fight you somewhere else. Right. So relatively speaking, Washington's two best options are attacking Princeton, whether that's in the face of a night attack from Cornwallis or during a morning attack from Cornwallis. And Cornwallis's worst option actually ends up being the morning attack yeah. in the event that Washington goes to goes on to attack Princeton. And that's because he waits the longest, so he gives up the most strategic advantage. They can communicate better, and they can see each other better, so the professional army benefits that way. But he also loses a lot of time in trying to defend Princeton. So without knowing it, he's giving up a ton of ground to the Continental Army, and they can do a better job of attacking Princeton and really minimize their losses. And So that's the best relative payout for Washington, but it's the worst one for Cornwallis. So... In any case, the most rational thing for Washington to have done is to do what he did. He went on to attack Princeton, and as fate would have it, even though the best decision for Cornwallis, given that, would be to attack at night, yep. he waited to attack right. in the morning. Well, And you got to give props to Washington for, A, making the least bad decision, like making the only one yep. that keeps him alive. But also, I'll never for a second believe that he didn't... <sighs> weigh that as well because i think you can make it you could still make an argument for retreating in a weird way but for washington he's like he's british yes he knows like very well what cornwallis is dealing with because he dealt with similar things when he was leading british forces and it fucked him in a very similar way mm -hmm. he never celebrated july 4th uh, as a general, even after the victory and after America was a country and after being president, because J July 4th was this great embarrassment of his career many years earlier in the French and Indian War. You can read about it. Mm -hmm. He hated that day because that was a, an a huge egg on his face and one of the biggest military blunders perhaps ever. Yep. He did something similar to this. So he knew that the British people and the, the whole politics of this massive army and the king were like, he, he knows what he's going to have to do. And yes. so he takes advantage of that. Now, let's talk about the Battle of Princeton. We've got some fun facts. All right. So some, fun, some fun facts, and then we'll, we'll, we'll explain how this fits into the Nash equilibrium. We'll, put, put, we'll reinterpret this in terms of, like, game theory the way Major Lundy does. But hit yeah. him with some yeah, no, we, have, we have plenty of game theory to talk about. We're going to use poker and football and things to explain that, that part of it as well. So first fun fact is that um, both of the most famous portraits of, or, or paintings of Washington were uh, depicting scenes very similar. To this. Yes. The first one was Washington crossing the Delaware. Yep. The second one is him standing with his hand on his gun. That's after taking Princeton. Washington at, Washington at Princeton. Really? Yeah. So it's uh, George Washington at Princeton is, is his, that's his big, like, I just kicked your ass. He's got his foot crossed. You know oh, what yeah. I'm, exactly oh, yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's just slaying. The second uh, fun fact is that while the Continental Army wildly outnumbered the, the British troops at Princeton. They weren't super experienced, and so they kind of fell back when they didn't need to fall back. So George Washington was pushing them to the front lines like, no, no, it's going to be fine. Go straight. And so that <laughs> led him to within 30 yards of the front line was easily snipable for, for the Brits, and they were trying. They, he Incredible. almost died, but 
because he got that close, which again, war in the 1700s and 1800s was different. There were theaters and people watched and generals kind of watched it all happen like a chess player, right? Yep. He got close. Then all that did for his troops was like, oh, all right, this, oh. this motherfucker can't get killed. Yeah, he's, he's leading right. at, at the front. It would be like if Achilles, like, like during the Battle of Troy, mm-hmm. Achilles is out there like sprinting headlong into right. Greek archery fire. Exactly. And so my final fun fact is that the, the end of the battle occurred on the campus of Princeton University, and there are still uh, buildings with scars from the battle on the campus now. That's incredible. Yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah, what... I, do you know what kind of guns it was, it was like the I th- muskets? I think it was. So muskets is what they were using at the time. But I think that might have been cannon fire from the Americans. I'm not really? 100% sure. And I haven't read that deep into it. But I do know that if you go to Princeton, um, it's called Nassau Hall. Nassau Hall? Nassau. The, yeah, you know, Nassau. Like the Nassau. Nassau. I don't. Is Nassau. it Nassau? I don't know. I'm not a local. Yeah, I don't know about that. But I just know that that's the name of the Coliseum where the Islanders play. Oh. Yeah. Do they still play there? I think they play there again because they tried to move to Brooklyn and then everyone was like, this is stupid. Let's go back to Long Island. Oh, did they? So I think they revamped the the, the whatever. But that's the name of the thing. Sick. Yes. So it happened on on Princeton's campus. So just some fun facts for you there. Not only did GW make the right decision and win the Battle of Princeton, but he looked like a G doing it because his men were like, that's probably probably part of the, the the painting was like yeah this guy can't get killed yeah for sure he's, he's a legend now yeah so this 1776 early 77 turning point for the continental army immortalized in some of the most famous revolutionary war paintings mm-hmm. that we have 100 so let's go back to what the fundamentals of the show are all about yes the game theory winning chess and poker correct yes and losing and winning equally in rock paper scissors right so as we said earlier not Milton, but Lawrence Freeman, Friedman pointed out yeah. that game theory is descriptive. It's not a, you should make this decision because. Correct. It's a, in this set of circumstances, the most rational decision is. And the Nash equilibrium for this, this grid that Major Lundy developed with the night attack, morning attack scenarios, and Washington's three decisions, the Nash equilibrium was at attack Princeton in the face of a night attack. Yeah. So Cornwallis's best relative outcome, given that Washington's best relative outcome was this attack on Princeton, the best decision for him to for Cornwallis to make was to go ahead and press for his advantage and attack at night. And so that way he could catch up with the Continental Army much more quickly. He could help defend Princeton to a much larger degree. And who knows, maybe if he had done that, Washington might have gotten killed by gunfire or the, the assault on Princeton wouldn't have been as successful as it was. Right. So that's the rational uh, that, 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 that's the Nash equilibrium and it fulfills three conditions of, of game theory here as Major Lundy points out so so first neither general wanted to deviate from the outcome because if they left the outcome then it would be it, it, it would, they would both have an incentive to continue I guess deviating from it it's not it, it, it's not like it, you know, they, it becomes unstable if they decide not to fit in with this right. like rational decision point uh, the second thing is that it creates a, what's called a mutually best reply condition. So relatively speaking, each player is at their best given what the other player's best decisions are. So Washington's best decision was clearly to attack Princeton. Right. It was obvious that retreating was not an option, and it was pretty obvious that defending was not really a feasible option either. So given that... Cornwallis's relative best decision was to go ahead and atta- attack at night. So that's what one of the conditions of the Nash equilibrium. And then the third condition is that it confirms the assumptions of each commander going into the interaction. So Cornwallis assessed, okay, the environment is not 
conducive to Washington retreating. Right. He knows what Washington is, or he assumes Washington is going to not retreat. Right. And then Washington likewise could assess Cornwallis's environment and say, okay, yes, Cornwallis is most likely to attack at night because that's when he'll be best able to defend in the case that I attack Princeton. So the Nash equilibrium conditions are met here. And the most rational thing to do would be for Washington to attack Princeton and Cornwallis to attack at night, which he did not end up doing. Correct. So I think the interesting thing to me, so we know what the equilibrium is, right? And we see this in football. We're seeing it in baseball. We're kind of seeing it um, in the workplace a lot with quiet quitting. There's a term that people throw around and it's, it's become uh, it's become a replacement for just not liking the youth movement, which is just, you know, part of the course. And that's just part of being alive, I guess, these kids these days. And that word is analytics, right? So this is <laughs> saber metrics. This is war analytics. If, 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 if how, or how, excuse me, how, if Cornwallis had thought about it from analytics, he can see the whole field and be like, I understand how it will look if we do one or two of these three things, but he literally made the worst decision. He, he did. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, you know, that's not because he's not a smart guy, right? It's not because he's not a strategic right. mind. It, and it also highlights, I think the importance of it. So in our last episode, we, it, the holiday party, thanks for joining us yep, for that. Absolutely. Shouts to you guys. I had a blast recording that one. I know you did too. Nick. Mm-hmm. In that one, we brought up the email that we got about the Monty Hall. Right, problem. right, right, right. And I think one of the tendencies that people have is to like skip to the end. They're like, okay, yeah, well, yes. we know you're going to end up choosing from one of two doors anyway because one's eliminated, so it's going to be 50%. And they want to jam the whole decision-making process together into this like mishmash of like, okay, what's the final decision? Like what's yeah, the yeah, final yeah. outcome? Right. And you cannot do that. So in this case here, because you can consider like, okay, retreating is bad, so attacking is good. Or, but like I have the advantage if I attack at night versus in the morning. You can't skip to the end. You have to play out the order of events. And you, yes. you have to consider what your adversary is going to do. You have to consider what the steps are in this process. Because relatively speaking, Cornwallis's best decision, his best relative payoff, according to Major Lundy, and you, you, given the factors are motivating him, would be to attack in the morning in the case of a retreat. Right. But his worst decision is to attack in the morning in the case of Washington advancing to Princeton. Right. So it's not enough, it's it's not accurate to say that in a blanket statement, well, Cornwall should just wait and attack in the morning because that's his best option. Right. It changes given your adversaries. The, 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 there's an expression in international relations theory and people who study like war and conflict, and it's that the adversary gets a vote. Yeah. You can't just unilaterally yeah, make great. a decision without considering what the adversary is going to do because it might your best result might be better or worse given different sets of assumptions about what the adversary is going to do. Right. And, and I think that um, by not utilizing these tools and just, so, and this is back to the analytics thing and the, the youth and the old people, there's a, there are misconceptions on both parts of the argument that simply thinking analytically game theory, optimal thinking that way will lead you to the best course of action because you don't equate the human element, which we have discussed over and over again. Mm-hmm. However, it is equally as stupid to just go on experience and, and know how, because then you don't consider the analytical possibilities that are opened up. And you see this in chess, you see it in poker and sports where, Oh, I didn't even look at this move and the computer found this move and Oh my God, it actually is way better. And I never would have thought of that. It seems stupid now, but it's going to be good later. If both parties, let's just say they, they didn't have analytics at this time and Washington found an option that Cornwallis hadn't considered. Let's say this a similar scenario happens right now and you have a nerd and their job is to touch the button and it's like, okay, well, maybe Princeton. Well, if Cornwallis also has the same analytical viewpoint of everything, he'd be like, oh, well, they're going to go to Princeton. Yep. So I'll just go to Princeton. Yep. And then this is kaput. 
Right. Right. It's, 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 it's a done deal. It's a different discussion. Right. Exactly. However, when you know that your opponent, one of the factors of having analytics that people never consider is that my opponent also has analytics. Right. So then you're like, well, he knows I'm going to Princeton. Maybe I shouldn't go to Princeton. Maybe I do something else. And then you can get to the point where that's, that's the time to bring the human element back in. But it seems that George Washington, whether he was thinking analytically or just logically or very simply, like this is our last gasp of this, we have to do something. He found an option that Cornwallis hadn't considered. Yeah. And that's when it gets fun. And we see this. We are going to do a poker episode. There was a man this year in the poker world, Chris, who took the poker world by storm because he understands game theory, optimal play. And he just did crazy shit. And everybody's like, this is not, what is he doing? These bet sizes don't make sense. It's super risky. And it's, it's very similar idea to uh, what's happening in basketball where players have realized, wow, I've, I only have to make a third of my shots if they count for three points. Right. right. And, and it, it's, it's an unconventional, it, it feels like an unconventional decision. It, it was certainly a bold decision given right. that he had, Washington had made this bold advance across the Delaware River. He had fought the Hessians. He had won Trenton. And conventional wisdom says, okay, you need to be able to defend your fortifications. It, it doesn't mean anything to win a place and then just immediately lose it. Right. And conventional wisdom might also say, well, it's important to try to like retreat, preserve your army in the face of an onslaught. Right. You can lose a position, but keeping the army there is, is that's the important thing. So, Attacking Princeton in hindsight, you know, with with this the analysis of game theory, it seems pretty clear that that was Washington. It was best the only choice, action. really, right? But if you're in Washington's shoes and you're fighting for a revolution and your military career is at the lowest of the low until just like a week ago, yeah. <laughs> if you have the if you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, the cause of the free world, attacking Princeton is an extraordinarily bold choice, right? So it, it's and and. That, I think, really changes. It, it, being able to look back in hindsight with, with the use of these analytics tools, I do think changes the way you see decision-making. Yeah, like, Because sure. you do well, have to have expertise and you do have to have some kind of like know-how and knowledge. But like Moneyball showed that analytics makes a big difference. You can't just ignore the factors yes. that, the, the, the rational factors that cre- create the conditions of the game. Right, and I think, I think um, I don't know if I'm going to push back on you, but I think I was just considering how freeing it must have been for Washington to be like, well, the worst case scenario is like war crimes and they're going to kill him if he goes back to Britain. But also like there is no enormous political apparatus. Like the, the country didn't have parties at that time. It wasn't a country. They had just talked shit. So there's a, there, it must have been freeing for him to be like, hey, George, just do your best, please. And he's like, well, since I don't really answer to anybody, this is my best. I think this is the move. Well, I, I don't want to sell George Washington short because he had the hearts and minds of the people mm-hmm. you know, squarely at the forefront of his decision making. And, and, you know, he needed support from the Continental Congress yeah. in the form of more than just like morals. Money. Like that sweet, sweet cash. Yeah. But uh, so you got you got an Orson Scott card book on your bookshelf back there. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. See, that's, uh, there's a quote from, uh, I, I think this second book in the Ender series is Speaker for the Dead. Yep. And there's this line in there where they meet an alien species and one of the aliens is like in a conversation with some scientists from the colonists. Sure. And uh, he says, oh yeah, well actually uh, taking away somebody's choices and, and enslaving somebody is actually like it's more freeing because now they're free from the burden of having to choose. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, in a way it's like, well, you know, I guess if we yes. defend, we're screwed. If we retreat, we're screwed. So yeah. let's go on the attack boys. There's no one that's going to, there's no, he's not going to be called in front of committee in front of uh, Adams and, and Franklin. So why did you make this decision? He's like, uh, how about fuck off? Cause yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I wanted to. Well, and he was so tall and handsome. They wouldn't have done that anyway. No. And he was, uh, well, they, they elected him, right? They were like, the, we, they wouldn't have been able to do it without him. They as did far the closest thing to appointing him that they could. 
Yeah. Um, and the, well, the true brilliance of George Washington, the greatest decision he ever made was to turn down the insane, they were going to call him his highness and his royal whatever. Oh, yeah. And then he also was the person who kept the country afloat by conceding power. Yep. And John Adams. Absolutely. That's, John Adams, not a great president. Spectacular founding father. Mediocre yep. president. But man, he gave up power freely. Yep. And uh, you just wish sometimes leaders today could see that as an example. <laughs> yeah. So, they, well, I mean, and nobody can talk shit on George Washington, right? Absolutely. You'd think. Honestly. We have not stooped yet. Not yet. Well, I'm sure we will. Someday. All right. <laughs>